This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Last September, Black Mountain College Museum opened its new museum and art center in downtown Asheville. If you haven't been, you must go. Marcus and I will talk with the museum's executive director, Mr. Jeff Arnall, about that experimental college and its important legacy for arts in our country. Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show. Glad to have you all joining us in the audience. And as it always is, I'm glad to be right here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, how's it going? Pretty good. We're off to a new semester, so I'm optimistic and full of energy. <laughs> we'll see where you are at the end of the semester. <laughs> very true, well, it's very good true. to be back here in the studio Indeed. with you. Good to be back here with our our audience and just talking about some new kind of some new topics and the topic today I think Marcus is really really important you know you and I talk a bit about the arts I've talked about art history your sister is an art historian she is, so she, who, she has a specialty in, in the arts yeah in fact she, she's I mean her, her main area focuses on black church architecture but she and I have had conversations about one of the artists that we'll discuss today uh, Jacob Lawrence mm-hmm. whose, whose work um, had a lot to say visually right Um, about the historical experience of African-Americans in this country. Absolutely. You know, Asheville, Asheville is very well known for the arts. You go anywhere and people, you mention Asheville, they talk about the arts. People know about the River Arts District here in Asheville, a new area of Asheville that has been developed that is really kind of dedicated and committed to the arts. It's an interesting community, that area, because having being being a native of Asheville, I kind of know that area really well. Mm -hmm. There's some issues that have arisen out of the redevelopment of that area, issues surrounding gentrification and everything. But the River Arts District is very well known um, Mm -hmm. among people far and wide. Have you been down there? Yeah, a couple of times. I I, want to spend more time down there and learn more about that that particular area of the city's history. But I think it's an important important area to discuss, especially for today's show. It is. It is. And, you know, and so people talk about visiting the River Arts District, and we highly recommend that you go if you have not been. But another place that you have to go is you have to go visit the Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center, which is now in the heart of the city in downtown Asheville. Beautiful new museum that is there. Have you had a chance to go visit the new museum? Yeah, I've, I've visited it a few times, and I, I think what 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 strikes me is that I really didn't know anything much about it before I moved to Asheville mm-hmm. um, almost six years ago, and I was really sort of thrilled to learn that that that, that particular college was really one of the was 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 a kind of epicenter of its own in, in the 1930s and 40s with respect to training some of the country's really most most influential artists, right? Yes. And this is this is sort of right in this area in Black Mountain. So right. this is a this is a pretty important institution. To talk it about. is, it is. And you know, having grown up here myself, you know, I'm ashamed to say that I didn't know anything about its history, mm. but have been thrilled to to get to know more about Black Mountain College yeah. and the museum and the museum and how it's preserving the legacy of the college. The college itself was opened in 1933, and although it closed its doors in 1957 as mm-hmm. you pointed out I mean its faculty helped to train some of the world's and some of the country's leading artists so it's great to know what this the museum and the art center is doing to preserve that story and to preserve that legacy. yeah and, and I think I think today's conversation will be an important opportunity to shed further light on this very very important history right and you know Marcus me as a historian I'm always talking about <laughs> preservation and I know as your sister does too it's important for us it to is. realize you know one of the things that I've been saying a lot is that look we weren't born 
born. Yes, the world wasn't born yesterday. You know, there have been so many people who have mm-hmm. done so many remarkable things. And I still marvel at how little we know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I come back to Black Mountain College and the people who were there and the things that were produced and the work that was produced there. And I think people will be amazed, even here locally. I think yeah. people who are native to, to Asheville, to this region, I think when I talk about this and talk about Black Mountain College with yep. people who I grew up with, they're amazed to hear this story. So I think it's important for us to think about this issue of preservation and look at what the museum itself is doing. So we're going to talk with the museum's executive director, Mr. Jeff Arnall, about the college's legacy, the museum's work, and why it is important. And Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Well, again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show joining you here in Asheville, North Carolina at Blue Ridge Public Radio. Glad that you all are staying with us to hear uh, this important conversation about Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center here in Asheville and the work that is being done. Marcus, we're privileged and very glad to have here in the studio with us Mr. Jeff Arnall, who is the executive director of the, the Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center here in Asheville. And just to give a little bit of his background, I mean, in, in his role as the executive director, um, he provides strategic and operational leadership and is further developing the institution's programming and its resources. It's amazing when you go to get someone's biography and find out about their bio. Someone who is a friend, you find out more about their background that they never talk about. So I'm, you know, it's amazing to think about the things that Jeff has done up to this point. And Jeff, you know, co-founded Free Range Asheville, a, a, a platform for performance research and discourse in 2015. And for three years, he worked as a senior specialist for the Pew Center for Arts and Heritage, which is a subsidiary of the Pew Charitable Trust in Philadelphia. So Jeff's work in this area, even in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, goes way, way back and it's very extensive. So, you know, I hear really good things uh, from people who are associated with Black Mountain College about the work that he is doing there. So we're glad to have Jeff here with us. Jeff, welcome to the studio. Welcome, yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me here. It's good. great to be here. Well, it's good to have you here on the show and just talk. And before we jump in and talking about what is going on at Black Mountain College Museum, the one thing I have to say is that I know Jeff's sister as well. Jeff's sister, <laughs> Kelly. And we have to give a shout out to Kelly having Jeff here on uh She'll be very happy show. About that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Kelly Kelly is one of uh, uh, one of the Waters and Harvey show's most faithful listeners. And I she think she is. To you, yeah, she has a group of uh, uh, a group of runners, and I, I've actually seen them run by my house in the morning um, oh. <laughs> some days. <laughs> yes, and they are they're faithful listeners to the show. So Kelly, look, it, we hope that, we know that you're listening out there, and I know you'll be thrilled to hear your brother's voice on, on this particular show. Yeah, and Kelly, keep listening. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, Jeff, you know so. Can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself? I went briefly into your bio. Uh, you have a passion for art. You and I have had a chance to talk about that. Can you tell us a little bit about how that developed? Well, I, I would like to, uh, I guess, start kind of connecting it back to Black Mountain because a lot of my life over the past, uh, I grew up outside of Atlanta um, mm-hmm. in uh, Lilburn, Georgia, and you know, I started playing the drums in middle school and um, started 
like a lot of young folks uh, playing in bands and was very and this was the mid 80s I was very influenced by uh, the proximity and the amazing scene in Athens, Georgia and also Atlanta and was very fortunate to kind of see firsthand uh, even as a young person as a a teenager a lot of these great uh, this great work and I think related in spirit say this DIY spirit Mm. which is kind of in, in a lot of ways related to Black Mountain College, you know, like how how did, how did they start this college themselves in the mountains, and uh, you know, that that was one little piece. But then my folks were like, you know, you got to get serious with your life. You got to do something. <laughs> you got to go to college. You can't just play in a garage band. Um, <laughs> So I uh, started going to percussion camp in the summers, went to Emory University, did a percussion mm-hmm. camp there and uh, um, worked with uh, uh, Mike Sabolsky and uh, uh, Mark Yannick, who's uh, uh, part of the Atlanta Symphony. And uh, they that summer, one of those early summers, like 87 or something like that, uh, played a piece uh, called Double Music, which is mm-hmm. uh, John Cage mm-hmm. and Lou Harrison composed pre-Black Mountain College. So... If you're, uh, you know, percussion music, it's uh, kind of a, an approximation or their take on uh, non-Western music. Mm-hmm. So really, it was a percussion. Uh, it's a percussion quartet, and but it's kind of looking at the sounds that are not uh, connected to Western culture. Mm-hmm. And so I played that as a teenager, and uh, then went on to Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, lived there for seven years, and mm-hmm. some part of Somewhere in there, I went and got a film degree from University of Maryland and then um, went on Mm. to uh, study at uh, Bennington College with a really amazing, awesome percussionist called, uh, his name is Milford Graves. And uh, he uh, was um, Albert Eiler's drummer in the 60s. He was part of the free jazz movement in the 60s. So there was a really famous... um, movement called uh you know called the october revolution in mm-hmm. 1964 mm-hmm. and he uh, along with bill dixon and a lot of others uh, cecil taylor uh performed this music uh this this event that really was almost like a stake in the ground saying that uh um this is what we know of jazz right in up to mm-hmm. that point All and right. this is where we're going to go with it and that's when you get like a lot of the coltrane's later stuff uh mm-hmm. you know uh past love supreme and everything else right. so milford um i was lucky enough to study with him and lucky enough to meet some of his colleagues and peers and uh, mentors of mine and got to play a lot of music, uh, do a lot of touring, and uh, lived in Brooklyn for about 12 years and then moved to Philadelphia and then full circle came back back down here. here. It's interesting because a number of things that you just said um, in your response to that question, you know, it just comes up in my mind, you know, it's learning, you know, to develop a a deeper appreciation for music Mm -hmm. and non-Western influences Mm -hmm. and sounds in music. So in my classes with my students, I've often had the chance to show um, to show the documentary uh, called Standing in the Shadows. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's about the it's uh, the subtitle, the Funk Brothers, who were the band behind um, most of the Motown sound yeah, and how they were pulling together all of these different sounds that they were using from all over the world. So I, that, that's always a fascinating documentary. And I and you talking about, you know, percussion and, and the things that you had to do and the people that you've worked with and, and especially staying in Brooklyn. I wonder, I'm sure you know the name Grady Tate. 
I do that. Yeah, who died last year, yeah. right? And Grady Tate was another one of those people from Durham. I think he was from Durham, North Carolina, or at least he went to North Carolina Central University. And one of my close family relatives, uh, Grady Tate, was his godfather. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that name just popped in my head as you were talking. Yeah, it's interesting. and it's, it's hard to overstate the influence of non-Western musical traditions, even in places like Southern Appalachia, right, where we see mm-hmm. African influences, Native American influences, etc. Um, and it's funny, you mentioned Emory, um, because that's where I completed my, my PhD nice. <laughs> several years ago, <laughs> yeah. so interesting connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you've been the executive director of the Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center now for about three years. Yes. Can you say a bit more about how that relationship unfolded? How did that sort of come about? Yeah. Well, and I, you know, because we're all looking at a clock, but we're trying yeah. to be relaxed <laughs> right, here. Right, but, right, uh, right. you know, I, uh, I uh, kind of skipped over some of that because I've been a real fan and uh, a passionate fan of Black Mountain, starting with that cage. And uh, so John Cage and Lou Harrison both taught at Black Mountain College. Mm-hmm. So just to close that loop. Um, um, and after that, the film school that I went to, Stan Vanderbeek, who was a student at Black Mountain College, he was the director of that film program uh, until he passed away in 1985. And so mm-hmm. I started learning about, he did this whole thing called uh, a, a movement that was kind of titled uh, Expanded Cinema Movement. So it was really in the 60s, it was like the first kind of immersive sound and visual uh, experiences that people were having. He created a dome where he did multiple projections and immersive sound. So I started learning about that in uh, all of John Cage's um, kind of colleagues and his ideas, how they radiated out was very influenced and started reading about um, the poets at Black Mountain. You know, I think actually Kelly gave me a book about a Robert Creeley book when I was a a teenager and Robert Creeley was at uh, Black Mountain. There was a great Mm -hmm. number of poets Mm -hmm. at Black Mountain and uh, Buckminster Fuller uh, was there and also uh, created the first geodesic dome there. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of these things are all interconnected Mm -hmm. and kind of so I was a fan. And when I saw that they uh, were looking for an executive director, I thought, well, a lot of my work um, up until this point, even starting back in Georgia and in Baltimore and Brooklyn, was uh, creating platforms for people to get together, uh, share mm-hmm. music, share ideas. And um, so that's kind of what in uh, the spirit that I saw or what I really saw uh, at, from Black Mountain. and thinking how can you do that now how do you keep and this is what we keep our mantra at the museum is um how do you keep looking back mm-hmm. and get it, uh, influence and and take all of that and but also mm-hmm. be grounded here and also kind of um live in the future all to right. some extent mm-hmm. and the lawrence show was a perfect example of that so you know we uh julia caro who um uh, curated the show, the historic part of the show. Um, she and Alice Sebrel, my uh, colleague at the museum, she's the program director. You know, they were talking about this before my arrival, uh, the show, you know, so that was well, you know, longer than three years ago. When I arrived, Julie and I, I think it was one of the first emails that I received. Um, we had to put a, uh, we decided to put an NEA grant together. Um, and so we kind of conceptualized the, the architecture of the show at that point. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, three years ago. And so kind of it forecasting, cool. how do you like okay. include what, you know, so the checklist or what you put on the walls can kind of change, but then also the big, and this was probably uh, um, 
my this was my contribution to the show was how do we connect this to contemporary practice mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, artists that mm-hmm. are working now and how do you identify those artists and how do you create uh, community programs that are dynamic and engaging and uh, so folks can understand uh, this history they could mm-hmm. you know that are folks that are living in Asheville actually know about Black Mountain but then also um, how can you take or have this worldview right. very much like uh, we were talking you mentioned that unbelievable that we had this training and these these people mm-hmm. from all over the world and that was in fact true about black mountain mm-hmm. so you had these amazing thinkers and creators there um so how do we continue to have that worldview here in Asheville? Mm-hmm. and so that was part of my kind of uh your thinking, my yeah. thinking, and, and what has been driving me, and so we really lucked out with the Jacob Lawrence show because we were able to commission three new pieces by um, international artists, right. and they came and they uh, mounted this work, created work specifically for this show. So it was really this uh, looking back, but then also looking forward. Right, with Jeff in talking about, so it, you know. At the heart of the museum's mission is preserving the legacy of Black Mountain College. And continuing. Know, and continuing in that. And um, and if we have time, you know, we talk about the college, especially with the college closing. And how do we view that? Can it be viewed as a success? But I'd like to, to jump to the Jacob Lawrence. Because Jacob Lawrence, as we know, is one of the leading African-American artists. Mm-hmm. And I, I was fortunate to be invited by you to participate in programming that you did around the Jacob Lawrence uh, exhibit. And I came to talk about historical context, and in in that uh, talk, I talked about how I wasn't really introduced to Jacob Lawrence's work until very late in my life. It would be in my 20s, probably my mid-20s, when John Hope Franklin, the historian, great African-American historian, who had two original works by uh, Jacob Lawrence in his home, and we had the opportunity to talk about those works. But Jacob Lawrence, um, leading African-American artist here in the country, remarkable legacy of work that he left behind. What exactly was the connection with Black Mountain College? Can we talk about that? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's a fascinating story, and I think that it's also, um, you know, as we continue this conversation, it's... uh, you know, how do we look ahead? How do we? How are we right now and still working on on a lot of these 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 ideas and and issues? Uh, so, in 1944, there was a, a political science instructor at uh, Black Mountain, and he brought uh, to the forefront an issue that had been uh, simmering for years at Black Mountain College. How does the college? How could the college move forward to integrate its student body? Mm-hmm. So that was 1944, and so. Um, Later on in uh, that year, they uh, they invited their first African-American uh, student, uh, Alma Stone, to come from Atlanta to mm-hmm. uh, to be at Black Mountain. So, so a lot of things were happening. And this and this is in 1944. 1944. Mm-hmm. Ten years before Brown. Before That's Brown. exactly right. It's mm-hmm. so amazing and uh, inspiring. Um, so move forward two years um joseph albers who um and if this is part of the story of of the the college the college was founded in 33 but at that point um joseph albers received an invitation to come and teach at black mountain college and this Mm -hmm. is really important to know because um hitler was uh, rising to power in germany and 
uh, Joseph and his wife, Annie Albers, who um, was a uh, amazing um, artist on her in her own right. And they accepted this invitation to come to Black Mountain Cro- College. So they basically fled Europe as uh, Hitler was closing the school that they taught out, which is uh, the Bauhaus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which if you're not familiar with the Bauhaus, uh, look it up. It was the, it was the leading art school of, of the time in Europe. And Hitler, in his rise of power, that was one of the first things, one of the things that he did in the beginning. He closed the school. And so what we gained um, was Joseph and Annie Albers arriving. And so Joseph Albers, very forward thinking, didn't speak any English mm-hmm. at the time. Um, you know, there's these really great uh, headlines in the paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, not great, but amazing that, uh, you know, Germans are invading Asheville or something like that. It's <laughs> times or whatever. Uh, um, Anyhow, um, Joseph Albers invited, had this also worldview and was a real, um, I mean, I don't know if the college would have, it would not have been the same. He and Mm -hmm. Annie Albers were here for 14 years Mm -hmm. um, in their positions. And so they were, he was head of the art department, but I think that in a lot of ways he held things uh, together or or that created a direction. He invited all sorts of um, artists and thinkers from all over the world, but he did uh, in 1946, extend an invitation to Joseph uh, to, wow. to to Jacob Lawrence mm. to come and teach painting at Black Mountain College as part of the Summer Institute, and that was 1946. Mm. So we have the let the letters was part of the exhibition. Julie found the letters, and uh, they were up in the show mm-hmm. uh, that just closed. Um, really fascinating because he um, was 27 years old, you know, Jacob Lawrence when he came mm-hmm. down. Uh, you know, he had already was. Uh, wow. Very successful. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that year was the year that he was on the cover of Fortune magazine. He had a commission on the cover of Fortune magazine. Um, it's a really interesting uh, story and circumstances that led up to it. He said yes. He uh, then, and what's interesting, and what of one of Julie's, and she could tell you more about this, but one of her big ideas around the show is um, how Jacob Lawrence took this influence of Albers and the Bauhaus, mm. this you know this other tradition, mm-hmm. and folded that into his teaching, and so he went on to say that he was a student of the Bauhaus, and so when he was teaching, this became very important. His time, even though he wasn't a student, he was a teacher just like Joseph Albers, mm-hmm. but he, he was somehow t- t- took these ideas and then. Um, brought those into his own practice. Wow, and 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 thinking about uh, Lawrence's relationship with Joseph Albers and about Black Mountain College integrating 10 years before Brown Brown v. Board, mm-hmm. um, Alma Brown being the first African-American student there. Um, for me, it raises the question of what what particular works of Lawrence are being included in this in, in, in this exhibit and and uh, why? So thoughts about that, if you, if, if you might. Well, and I think that um, we borrowed, and this was part of this uh, this funding. We were lucky enough to um, receive not only the NEA funding, but uh, some funding from the Horowitz Foundation, so mm. some national um, funders, and we were able to borrow. And this this is something that has not happened with the museum. We were able to borrow from twenty six different lenders from across the country, and so mm. it was really, um, you know, some of the work before uh, his time at the college. He brought um, paintings with him during his trip. Mm-hmm. I want to say seven paintings, and he, um, we have the packing list of those paintings. Those paintings uh, we didn't have access to, so they're you know in the Brooklyn Museum, and uh, you know they're 
they weren't available for loan. So mm-hmm. we were able to kind of piece together what he was doing before his arrival at Black Mountain, but then also he didn't, we, as far as we know, he didn't create any work that summer. Um, but, you know, he's conceptualizing uh, his next big, you okay. know, uh, series and then work after that. Okay. So it was a real mix and trying to tell the story of because it was a story that hasn't been told of this one summer where uh, he and his wife, uh, Gwendolyn Knight Lawrence, mm. came down from New York City and spent uh, this time in this place they didn't leave campus too so they were there the entire time um and then they um you know took all of that information and um this information uh these friendships really and and brought it forward into the future um so jeff this is great talking about the Mm chicka lawrence exhibit but i know that you all have um programming that is coming and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something that um, that UNC Asheville is partnering with you all on is you're going to be kind of is it fair to say kind of reintroducing us to Max Roach and mm. Max Roach's uh, Freedom Suite is uh, we insist is going to be the name of this uh, is the name of, of the album itself and will be the name of this exhibit. So this is something that is coming down the pike. You tell us a little bit about that. And if we want to do a, just a quick sample uh, of, 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 of that music, if we possibly can, we might not have time to do that. But can you tell us a little bit about this exhibit that's coming up? Right, so it, it's um, it's a program. It's a it's a restaging of uh, Max Roach's uh, 1960 uh, piece uh, called um, "We Insist: The Freedom Now Suite." Mm-hmm. And you know, it's that it's also a fascinating story. Uh, quickly, is he um, was approached by the NAACP uh, about writing a piece for the hundredth. Uh, the centennial anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, So what ended up happening is that uh, politics and the world was heating up at that point. And Max Roach, uh, who, if you don't know who Max Roach is, he is uh, maybe one of the the greatest drummers of jazz in uh, in that has ever lived. I mean, and he's a tireless, uh, was a tireless activist, um, political activist. He um, is someone who was uh, played with, uh, was there at the beginning where, uh, in, with Bebop and Charlie mm-hmm. Parker, but then uh, with Cool um, and um, kind of hard bop in the, uh, in the 50s, and then really experimented with uh, political pieces like this in 1960, and 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 also um, went on to really kind of all the way up through like working with Cecil Taylor, an avant-garde artist, and also um, um, some early uh, rap and hip hop um, artists as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we are moving through time really fast. So, Marcus, oh, this is what I, this is what I want to do. <laughs> it really does. What I'd like to do is, you know, kind of end this segment, and then if we have time, we can close with Max Roach's piece, so the mm-hmm. audience can hear a little bit of this. But this is going to be, I think, a a wonderful uh, exhibition that you all are going to do, and we want to encourage as many people here in Asheville and the surrounding community to. Uh, to participate in this, yeah. to make sure that they get out, and to make sure that they get out to see the the museum Certainly. itself. So, what's going to happen is we're going to have to have you back, Jeff, to talk about the museum and its work. Okay. This always happens. But Marcus and I want to thank you for coming in and talking about a little bit about the museum, the college, and talking about Jacob Lawrence mm-hmm. and Max Roach. And Marcus and I will be back in just a moment. 
Drive a man, he made a life. But the mammy ain't his wife. Chopping cotton, don't be slow. Better finish out your road. Keep a moving with that plow. Drive a man, I'll show you how. Get to work and root that stone. Well, Marcus, we got a minute here. That was we got to hear. We we were able to hear a little bit of Max Roach, and it's such an important piece. But I'm glad that we were able to include it in. Absolutely, and I think you know what I'm what I'm reminded of, or what I think about, is that the act of preservation in this case, um, a Black Mountain College Museum and Arts Center, is really a political act, it especially is. given the current political climate. So this is just in a really really important um, project to highlight. Right. And yeah. so uh, we want to thank Jeff again for coming in, and we're going to have him back to talk a little bit more about. Black Mountain College Museum and Art Center and the the end of college and its legacy. But we want to remind you that the Waters and Harvest Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, and on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter, and we're going to leave you with Matt's Rope. Take care. <laughs>